turn our attention to God's Word, and I uh, intentionally gave a different passage as the illustration for the sermon today from 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and I do invite you in your spare time to go back to that passage of Scripture and read it because it is a perfect parallel illustration to the sermon passage that we're going to focus on in Acts chapter 19. Would you turn with me there to Acts chapter 19? And if you have found it, say amen. Beginning in verse 13, we read these words. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there was set, they were also... And, and also there were seven sons of Shiva, a Jewish priest, a chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and selling their, their, uh, telling their deeds also, many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it was in total 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Second Mile Christians. It's good to see Brother Marcus in the house, his family. Man, um, I did not know that his father was a minister, a, a champion boxer, a trainer of men, owned his own gymnasium. Uh, sometimes you don't know who you're around. I was so blessed by his testimony of the men, uh, not only because of the impact that Marcus, his father, had on their lives, but on the lives of their families. And many of those men were there with their wives and children. And so this was a great man. Your dad was a great man. And uh, he has a great son. Amen. Amen. I want to thank the brothers who were able to come, and we want you to know as part of Christ Strong Ministry, we love you, and we're here for you. Who are we? 
Who are we? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. I can't say it like Elder Ward, but you guys get it. I um, did some. We also are glad to see Sister Diane Carroll in the house. Amen. 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 Uh, she was in a major car accident and uh, suffered some pretty severe injuries, but she looks just as pretty as ever, uh, even if her husband didn't say so. That's my main man. He's been doing good work with his wife, taking great care of her. Amen. At least that's what he says. And uh, I think she, she is uh, agreeing and is testifying that he's been Christ strong uh, during this time of her recovery. Second mile Christians. I did some research um, in preparation for the message today, and I was really praying and asking God how to minister to the body of Christ this week with all the things that I have seen and experienced this week. And so God led me to the passage in Acts chapter 19, and I learned about biometrics. I didn't cuss. I just, I just learned about biometrics. It's a term derived from, a, from the Greek word bio meaning life and metrics meaning measure. Metrics measure bio life. The two main types used to identify characteristics that makes each person unique are physiological and behavioral. The two types of physiological and behavioral, two types of biometrics. This new technology, at least new to me, thanks to Brother Brian and Sister Paula, helping me to kind of get the wording right, allows you to activate your cell phone without a password. All you need to do is touch it. Your phone recognizes your fingerprint, finger size, and the shape which of your finger, which is different from 7.6 billion other people on the planet. There's no person in that 7.6 billion number populace that has a fingerprint exactly like yours. Somebody say, I'm unique. Other devices and security systems identify you by the uniqueness of your voice inflection. I know my wife's voice. I know my children's, when, who's walking and who's not walking. I know when she's upset, when she's not upset. Of course, she's never upset, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Through your iris and retina scanning, a doctor can tell your blood pressure and if you have diabetes. And the eye is the entrance to your soul. There's so many things that can be determined just by looking in your eyes. All you have to do is look into that scanner, and there you go. There you are. You're known. Your vital statistics, your vital information appears on the screen. The uniqueness of your eyes from all other eyes can grant you access to places and privileges and people that are, that are 
inaccessible to others. Just because the scanner recognizes your eyes, you get in, they don't. Uniqueness is a blessing. It is. It is. I, I'm sorry, you, you brother, we're we, we different. Don't tell me I look like my wife. The longer we're together, ain't, that ain't cool. We're unique. We're different. Somebody say amen. amen. Unfortunately, many people fail to realize that God is God who made you and I unique. You have unique fingerprints, as I've already said, unique voice. You have a, a tongue print. Your, the print of your tongue is different from everybody else's tongue. You have a lip print. When you put your lips on something, they can get a swab of that and put you in jail. Uh, you even have a unique odor print. We can all put on the same cologne, and some folk, it ain't helping. No matter how much of that cologne you put on them, we, our bodies respond to cologne differently because we have a different odor print. We have unique dental prints a unique gait or walk. You have a toe print. Your toes are different from everybody else's. Keep your shoes on. I take my word. Just to name a few. In spite of our God-given uniqueness, too many of us spend our entire lives trying to fit in, trying to look like everybody else. You ain't ever going to be no two. You ain't going to ever be a size two. That's all right. I'm going to always be my complexion. I saw a brother that I hadn't seen in about eight years, and I didn't recognize him. He had his skin bleached. That was scary. <laughs> just There's some things you just need to leave alone. There's a reason why God made you the way you are. Now, what you can enhance, go on and fix it. Get it, get doctored up. That's all right, too. Until you embrace your uniqueness in Christ, you will never become who you were created to be. Accepting who you are in Christ includes such things as your body size, your skin color, your looks, your intelligence, your spiritual gifts, your divine assignment. God didn't tell me to do what he told you to do. You are unique. There's no one else on this entire planet like you. And as soon as we can grasp that, we will get off of our own backs. We'll take a chill pill. We'll relax. We'll be under less stress. We will be able to serve the Lord comfortably in the skin that he gave us without worrying if people accept us or like us or think we're cute or not cute, smart or not smart. Somebody need to turn that air back on. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Second Mile Christians embrace their uniqueness in Christ and celebrate and celebrate the uniqueness in others. You don't have to be like me to be my friend. We need to share common interests, but we don't have to see things the exact same way we are different. Uniqueness is from God. We need to embrace it. But if you don't know who you are in Christ, you're going to always be chasing a vapor, chasing, chasing something that a phantom of who you think, the ideal of who you think you ought to be. 
because you're looking at yourself through the eyes of others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 through 20, here's what the Word of God says. But in fact, God has placed the part in the body, the body of Christ, every one of them. Say every one of them. Just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, if we were all the same, where would the body be? Where would the individual parts to the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Say to somebody, embrace your uniqueness in Christ. In Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20, we meet seven men from the same family. They all wanted to do something that they thought would make them something that they weren't. They wanted to do something that they thought would make them who they were not. What you do doesn't make you who you is, who you are, okay? They saw what God was doing in the Apostle Paul's life, and instead of becoming what God intended for them, because they had their own individual assignment, they decided that they were going to pirate, they were going to black market. This is really funny. I remember um, when The Passion of Christ came out, back then when uh, you could go on 52nd and Market Street and uh, before the videos actually, what are, the CD, what are they called, VCR tapes or whatever, uh, my oldest son said, Dad, I got the copy of the tape. And how in the world did you bootleg a copy <laughs> of the Passion of Christ and then telling the, your dad about it? You cannot bootleg who God never intended you to be. I don't care how you try to fix it up. You will always be essentially in your essence who God has wanted you to be. The question is, are you willing to embrace who you are? Are you willing to look in the mirror? And when, instead of saying, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Instead of you hearing Cinderella or Snow White, you'll hear, you'll hear God saying, you are, because you are fearfully and you're wonderfully made. And I did not make a mistake when I created you by my own hands in the fashion and design that you are. Embrace your uniqueness in Christ. In this passage, I want to consider with you three things that I hope will help us to become comfortable. I don't know how many years I struggled with self-image and insecurity and inferiority. and you know, I joke about this and that, but for years, called names and accepting those designations as uh, uh, any, an assessment of my value for years. It did not matter what I accomplished because in my mind, my value was based on what others said and what I saw in them as valuable. And so I know what it means to wrestle with not feeling good about yourself, even though you're faking it until you make it. Nobody knows the misery that you feel from rejection. And really, nobody's rejected you except the voice in your head that says, 
not good enough. Not good enough. So here's three things that I want to ga- uh, hope you will grasp by the end of this message. First of all, why is it important to embrace your uniqueness in Christ? That's the question I want to ask from these verses. Secondly, I want to answer the question, what happens when you embrace your uniqueness in Christ? What happens when you do accept yourself for who you are in Jesus? Then finally, I would be amiss if I didn't show you how. How do you embrace? Give yourself a hug in Jesus. I ain't talking about, I find yourself in the Lord, and you deserve a break today, and don't God love you, and it's your day, it's your way. You know, I ain't talking about that nonsense. I ain't talking about egotism and and serving the flesh. I'm talking about seeing yourself from God's perspective. Why is it important? Listen to these words again in verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. I want you to know that demons are real and that there are people who are not only, sometimes they are oppressed or vexed, agitated by demonic spirits. Even believers can be vexed and agitated and oppressed, but believers cannot be possessed. We cannot be demonized. But the spirit realm is real. And so we see that there were these groups that were going around, and we'll see that they made a mistake by trying to be something that they were not. And they were trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preached. (laughs) Operating in somebody else's anointing, somebody else's gifts, somebody else's call, as Paul had commanded them to get out. Why is it important? First of all, what we discover in verses 11 and 12 is this. When you embrace who you are in Christ, your uniqueness, you allow... You, you, embracing who you are in Christ allows you to recognize the real, that real power and influence comes from God. The, what you see in others that you admire, if it has any eternal value, it comes from God. It, it, it comes from the Lord. So we don't need to be at any, at, at bowing down or elevating human beings. Any significant life-changing event that is occurring through somebody, the source of that power is God. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but it's God. Now watch this. Now, now God, verse 11, worked unusual, who? Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul so that even his handkerchief or apron were brought from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them, and the evil spirit went out of them. God is still working miracles. Uh, He can use a handkerchief. He can use spit. Jesus spit on the ground and put it on a man's eye who was blind from birth, and he could see. Some of us be swinging at Jesus. What? He can take spit. He can take dirt. The Lord is still in the miracle-working business. The problem is we don't want to get this twisted. God was working miracles. Unusual miracles through who? Paul. Paul. Now, when you go back to Acts chapter 14, Paul was constantly running into this situation. 
There was a man who was born lame, and he and Silas were church planners. They were, they were, uh, they were uh, a part of uh, cross-cultural evangelism. They established churches. And so there's a man who was born lame, and Paul, the Bible says that Paul saw that he had faith to be healed. Now, we study the scripture. Sometimes people didn't even have faith to be healed. God healed them anyway. Sometimes people didn't even know they were the Jesus that was healed them, but he healed them anyway. The man who was born uh, blind in chapter 9, when the, when the, when the uh, religious leader said, who healed you? He said, I don't know. All I do know is I once was blind, but now I see. And then he went on to testify of a person he didn't even know. He said, do you want to know him too? And so God was working these miracles, and this man who had faith to believe he believed and he was healed. And, and, and when the people saw the miracle in Lyconium, they said, Paul and Silas are gods. Let's kill the goat. Let's kill the calf. Let's worship them. Let's bow down to them. And when the apostle Paul and Silas heard that the people thought that it was them performing the miracles, they tore their clothes and said, we're only humans. We're just like you. We're simply vessels that God is working through to get a message to you so you'll stop doing what you're doing, worshiping idols, and we're not trying to be that. When you are operating in who you are in the Lord, you understand that the only reason you can do anything that has value is because of him. And so the pressure's really off of you. You don't have to perform. Paul said, we didn't come to you in the persuasion of speech or in eloquence or in the superiority of our academic accomplishment. But he said, we came to you in the demonstration of power from where? From God. That's how people get healed. We get this twisted up. Bishop so-and-so healed. No, no, no. The healer is God. The one that gives you the authority to speak and people hear and lives are changed. I know you did the studying. I know you prayed. I know you worked on it. But ultimately, if it's going to have eternal results, it's him. Embrace your uniqueness in Christ because the power to influence comes from him. Stop looking at other folk. I just wish I could talk and say it just like them. And if I could say it like Sister Kenita. I heard I was in the back listening to the music. And Sister Lucinda with that high soprano. Oh, man. That's, oh, that's a sweet soprano going up in there. Yeah. But guess what? Who gave her that gift? Who gave them their gifts? The source behind the gift is the giver. Somebody say amen. Come on now. Come on, I had a hard week. Hey, help me out here. <laughs> now, why was God doing the work in and through Paul? That's the question. Why would the Lord use us? That, that's the issue. It really isn't a question. Am I, am I adequate? Am I going to? No. You ain't, I'm not. Really, it's not about us. It's really about. Here's why he does it. God is sovereign. Say he's sovereign. 
That means he can, he can do whatever he wants to do, whenever, however, and to whomever. Here's what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. It says, but one in the same spirit works all these things. Here's the part. Distributing to each one individually as God wills. You don't get to choose your spiritual gift. You don't get to choose your assignment. You don't get to choose your body size. Now, if you need to lose a couple LBs, you can do something about that. But your body structure, your bone structure, is what it is. God was looking over the formation of every aspect of your body down to the last molecule when you were being formed in your mother's womb. The scripture says he was knitting you together. Why did he make you the way you are? Because he's sovereign. Accept that and you'll smile more. Oh, how intimidating it was for me to go into large rooms and people my age, everybody got on the designer stuff. I wore no designer anything. I had one pair of sneakers that I got usually from the rum itself or from someplace that was very inexpensive. That was a big deal to have the Chuck Taylors back in the day. Those things, where you, walk, you walk on them now, they tear you up. They don't have no kind of support. <laughs> but that's whatever, you, you sure did look, you felt like you fit in. But I had the kind of parents that didn't care if I fit in. <laughs> they made me stand out, but it wasn't about being intentionally a standout. It was called what they could afford. That's what I got. God is sovereign. God saved Paul from his sins. Oh, this is so precious in verses 9 through 10 in chapter 15. He says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. I'm not worthy. He never got this thing twisted. Author most of the New Testament books, founder most established most of the New Testament churches. A Pharisee among the Pharisees, multicultural, multilingual, a doctor and PhD in religion. He said, I'm the least. I'm not worthy. He said, because I persecuted the church. I know where I came from. By the grace of God, I am that I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labor more abundantly that they all, yet not I, but that the grace of whom which was with me. God, he said, I work even harder because I know what the Lord delivered me from. So he says, God does this because he's sovereign, because he saved Paul. He also set him aside, set him apart. When you get a chance, first uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through, I think he said, in my mother's womb, before you placed me there, you already had a plan and a purpose. I want you to know before you were even born, if there wasn't a plan and a purpose, you, there wouldn't even, would not be a reason for you to be here. Amen. The question is, do you know God's plan and his purpose? Paul said, because I knew that God set me apart before I was even born, he said, I didn't consult flesh and blood about my call. 
Because I knew I was called. If you, bless, if you don't bless it, sisters and brothers, if you don't know what your purpose and plan is, you're going to be like a chicken with his head cut off for the rest of your life. I don't care how old you are, you, you will never know what you're supposed to be doing. You will never have a GPS for your life. You need to understand your gifts. Your gifts will help you to have direction for your assignment. Where you're gifted is where you should be serving. And if you're serving where you're not gifted, you're out of pocket. You're out of place. You're out of your lane. And you're not going to have any peace. God had set him apart. God set you apart. Do you know what he set you apart for? I guarantee you it wasn't just to sit on the bench and pat yourself on the back because you showed up at church. That's not what the Christian life is about. We come to church just like we go to the gas station to get fuel for our tanks to drive. You come to church to get spiritual food so you can serve outside of the walls of the church. God used, God uses. This is why God, God uses submitted people to accomplish great things. Or when you get a chance to read chapter uh, 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 in, in, in the book of Acts chapter 17, Paul was in Corinth, the most, one of the most corrupt cities in all of Asia or uh, uh, Europe, I guess that would be now. And uh, they were so disrupting the, the strongholds of the enemy that Paul and Silas were accused of being those who turned the whole world upside down. Can you imagine having that as your testimony? Here they come again, the folk that turned the world upside down. That's what that church is doing. When they show up, things don't stay the same. When they show up, Jesus begins to stir stuff up, and people begin to change, and folks aren't. God does great things when we surrender to him. And so when I embrace my uniqueness in Christ, I am acknowledging that the source of the power for influence comes from God. God was doing unusual miracles through Paul. Paul was simply the instrument. Some years ago, I used to drive hoopties. You could hear me before you saw me. And uh, money was tight and short. And I was, I was having this, this noise with my car, and every time I'd stop at a light, it'd cut off, and, and, it, 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 uh, and then I hope it would turn on. You know, and then you sit in, the, uh, you, you try to warm it up ahead. You know, you warm the car, but it's an old car. You pump it. Anybody know what I'm saying? And nobody never had an old car. Yeah, pump it, and then you sit in, and you like warm up and cold. And I set it and start warming it up, and it goes, and then it cut off. And I said, oh, Lord, I cannot afford a new car. I'm going to have to go and get me this thing fixed, and I'm sure it's going to cost a small fortune. Finally got around to taking the car in. Doom, doom, boom, doom, 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 boom. Got finally get it in. And I'm saying, oh, and you know, you can't trust. I won't be careful. Some there's some honest mechanics, but you know, it's hard to find. Amen. Praise the Lord. I found a good mechanic. He was honest. He said, well, Mr. Benson, you do have a problem. So I'm saying, oh, calculate my mind. How many thousands of dollars this thing is going to cost? And he said, you know, you need an oil change, an oil and filter change. He said, I can get that done for you for about $30. That was a long time ago. I said, what? I said, well, tell me about what you're going to do. He said, well, in order to put 
new oil in, we got to drain all the dirty old oil out because that's why your car is sluggish. And once we drain all the dirty oil out, we can put a new filter in. And once you get a new filter in because the old dirty water oil is drained out, then you can drive and you're not going to get to your destination. I said, you know what, Lord? That's kind of how it is in the spiritual walk. You know, we got all this dirty oil called the flesh. We're trying to serve the Lord in our own strength. We're going to make this work. But every time we run up against something, we go, doop, 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 stop. We ain't, we quit. We ain't doing it no more. But when you allow the Lord through the oil of the Holy Spirit to fill you, you will have the power to get to the destination based on your assignment God has already predetermined. Embrace who you are. Allow the power of God to give you influence. That's how you have influence. People start thinking you're beautiful. You didn't even put any makeup on. You, got, you feel like you got to get it all made up. Nah. When you're under the power of the Holy Spirit, you're beautiful. You're handsome. I know I am because I sense. No, 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 no. I, 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 the, the, the Lord. The Lord. The Lord. The Lord. It's the Lord who will cause your face to shine. It's the Lord that will cause his countenance to be upon you. Here's another reason uh, when you embrace the presence of the Lord why we need to do this. Em em embrace our uniqueness in Christ. Embracing your uniqueness in Christ requires God's presence in your life. God has to be present in order for you to experience the uniqueness in him that you have. Watch this. Here's what I mean. In verse 13, 14, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves, say upon themselves, to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And we already read this. We exorcise you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, Paul, the one that Paul preaches about. Now, who were these men in the eyes of the world? These were professional preachers. Uh, they were traveling exorcists. They were like palm readers that you see from time to time. You'll be driving on a highway. Come get your, your, your palm read. Uh, these were, these were uh, people who practiced exorcism. You brought your wayward kid who had ADHD. Back then, that was considered demon possession. The kid wouldn't sit down. They didn't have Ritalin. So you come, they'd be exercising your kid. All right, this was the uh, a grandmom who has Alzheimer's or grand, what we call people say, he's demon possessed. No, she has Alzheimer's. And what we want to do, we don't want to say that people can't be demon possessed. We want to rule out that it's nothing medical. And then the last thing is, this is spiritual. But from the world's perspective, these were professional exorcists. These were the guys that you had on your speed dial. You called them if you got a plumbing problem. If you had a demon problem, you called these seven guys. These were, they were preachers' kids. Their father was a high priest, a chief priest. They're pastors' kids. They participated in the occult. That includes all forms of witchcraft and magic and conjuring up dead spirits and, 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 and getting their power from Satan himself, but using the name of Jesus. How many of you know that everything that has the name of Jesus on it is not from him? And the way that we know the difference is that you judge the spirit whether it is of Christ. You got to know the word. You got to know the word because there's so many counterfeits. Just because somebody fell out or jumped over a couple pews and didn't break their face, that doesn't mean it was God. 
Nicodemus says, no one can do these things except God be with him. So he's trying to determine for Jesus that you must be the Messiah because you're doing miracles. And Jesus says, guess what? You can't even know who I am until you're saved. So miracles do not verify that the presence of God is there. And so from the world's perspective, these were the guys that you contacted. When mom was acting crazy and dad was, was on a hangover, he couldn't get over it. Now here's how God viewed them. They were unsaved because they didn't know Jesus. They were unqualified. True believers have been given the authority. We have been given authority over the spirit realm. You don't have to come to your pastor or the elders or the deacons to, to pray over people who have demon possession. No, you need to pray in the name of Jesus. I cast you out in the name of Jesus. And you, but you need to have yourself right. You don't want to be fooling around with folk and you doing the same thing they are because what is on them can jump on you. But you have been given authority over demons, over the spirit realm, and over the physical realm. You can pray for sick people, your friends, teenagers, children, adults. You can lay hands on them, and in the authority that the Lord gives you, you can pray for them, and the Lord will heal them. But they were unqualified because they didn't know the Lord. They knew religious tradition and ritual, but they didn't know Jesus. Being a member of the church doesn't mean you have Jesus in your life. Doesn't mean that you've been saved, that Christ is your Savior. You've got to trust him from, as your Lord and your Savior in order to have him living in you. Not only were they unqualified unsaved, they were unaware of the danger of operating in somebody else's anointing. There's some things that you don't need to be fooling with that God never told you to do. Don't be touching that which is sacred and set apart that God didn't tell you to do. Remember the story of Uzzah? He touched the Ark of the Covenant trying just to keep it from falling, and God, the Bible said, God struck him. God killed him that day. And there are other examples, and we're going to see that as we run on. Stay with me. They were unaware of the danger. And they were unprepared for the consequences. When you try to operate in the call of somebody else, in the shadow of somebody else, trying to be who you aren't, you are risking great danger. You're risking great danger. So here's what they do. These seven men, they see this demon-possessed individual. We can handle this. If Paul can do it. We watched him cast out demons, and the demons tremble. And they, at just the mention of Jesus. And so they decided, we can do it too. And they said to the man, in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches, we command you to come out. The, de the demons said, we know Paul, and the Jesus that saved him. But we don't know you. And the Bible says that the demon in the man jumped on the seven sons of Sheba and gave them a beat down that was so bad that by the time the demon, the one demon in that one man with seven other men trying to operate in an anointing that God never gave them, they left butt naked bleeding, and literally running for their lives. I want you to understand, when you try to serve in Saul's armor and defeat the giants that are in your life, you're going to be defeated. 
you're not going to win. But if God gave you five stones, use the five stones. If he gave you whatever God has given you to be effective in the call that he has given to you, it starts with a personal relationship with Christ. You have to have him in your life. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. But you also need to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. They were not surrendered. They didn't know the Lord. And as a result, they suffered great consequences. Until you are operating in the call of God for your life and taking your hands off of everything that you're touching for significance, if I grab this, if I join that church, if I join this ministry, if I get this title, if I... No, 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 no. Until you are operating, you're trying to cast stuff out that you don't have the authority to cast out. And what, what will happen is the, re, the, the reverse of what you're trying to do, you'll end up. Instead of having a testimony, you'll be somebody else's testimony. Somebody say amen. We're almost done. Here's what happens when you embrace the uniqueness of God, of, of who, who you are in Christ. The devil was trying to get a victory because if these men had been successful in casting out a demon in Jesus' name, even without being saved, and giving credit to the flesh rather than to God, then they could have totally undermined the authority of the ministry of Paul in Ephesus. The church of Ephesus would have never existed. But God reversed the devil's intention. Paul was not even present when these men took the beat down. But because of the testimony of Paul and Silas embracing their uniqueness in Christ, they impacted the entire city. The Bible says that fear of the Lord fell on them all. When you are operating, your pe the people that know you, the way you were, and now you're embracing who you are and your uniqueness in Christ, and they see the difference that Christ has made, they will be caused to reverence your God. They will see your light shining in such a way that they're caused to give glory and honor to the Lord. And so where these men wanted to get attention and, 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 and reverence for them, themselves, God reversed it, and the men in the city feared God. They reverenced God. That's what happens when you're, when you're yielded to the Lord in the area of where he's calling you, and you're accepting who you are in him. Amen. Here's another thing that happened. The Bible says, and many of them who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. They forsook sin. When you are operating authentically in who you are, other people will want what you have. And they will want to turn away. They'll see that you're not practicing uh, uh, fornication. They'll see that you're not practicing uh, uh, lying and the things that you used to do. And they say, well, Christ made a difference in your life. And the Bible says you can be ready to give an answer to everyone who has a, a, the the, of the hope that is within you. You have a testimony that will cause others to forsake their sin and turn to Jesus. But if you're trying to be somebody else, they're not going to see Christ in you. They're not going to have the thirst and the hunger for Jesus. Here's what else happens. Follow, they followed the Lord completely. Also, many of those who were practicing magic brought their books and they burned them. This was their lifestyle. This was their source of income. They, they burned in that day when it said 50,000 pieces of silver. 
that is equivalent to a whole year's salary for all of the musicians and witches and warlocks and demonizers. They threw all of their books of magic. In response to Paul and Silas embracing who they were in Christ, simply walking in obedience to their assignment. Can you imagine Satan uh, in, in San Francisco? That's the capital of Satan worship. That the Satanists would be so impacted by the way we are surrendered to Christ that they shut down the temple worship for Satan. That's the kind of power that we possess when I'm embracing who I am in Christ. We're almost done. They followed the Lord completely, and they found their identity in Christ. Here's how they did that. The Bible says, so the word went forth mightily, and, it, and the word of God prevails. When the word of God is prevailing in your life, you're not just reading because it's my devotional time. I'm going to be able to say I had my devotional No, no. The word of God, when it shines on your life the way that it should and it's prevailing, you will accept who you are in Christ. You will come to a place where you have a, a sense of identity in him. That's the word. That's the power of the word. The word will make you accept who you are. And so when you look in the mirror, you're seeing who God sees. When you're thinking the thoughts about who you are, you're not thinking the thoughts of the world. You're thinking God's thoughts because the word of God prevails. When you embrace, I'm going to be who you want me to be, Lord. I'm going to stop trying to be someone that I'm not. Just help me to understand what is your plan and what is your purpose. And once I get that clear, and if I don't know it, I'm going to talk to some folks who've been walking with the Lord long enough to help me to understand how I can walk in the center of the will of God for my life so I can truly rejoice. Rejoicing should not be a rare occasion for Christians. It ought to be a lifestyle. Here's how you do it. I'm glad you asked. We're almost done. You need to write this down. Because I know that some of you are struggling with your self-identity, your self-worth, the feelings of inferiority. You don't feel like you fit. And people, this is, this is driving me crazy Older Christians just going somewhere trying to find something to make them feel. No, no. You need to know who you are in the Lord. You need to know who you are in the Lord. Bunch of church vagabonds. We're just floating all around trying to find a good feeling. Here's what the scripture says. In order to embrace who you are in the Lord, you need to be transparent with yourself and others. Here's what that means. And when you get a chance, in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, Paul said, with all of my credentials and all of my experience of being used by God to do unusual miracles, he said, I got issues. He said, oh, wretched man am I. Who shall deliver me from this body of sin? He said, I know what to do. I say all the right stuff, but I don't always do what I'm supposed to do, even though I know I'm supposed to do it. You're talking about transparency. This brother was honest. I struggled this morning. I said to the brothers, I said, I've been battling a spirit of depression all week. I said, you know, pastors don't tell nobody that. This one does. Because Brother Heyman prayed for me. And these men laid their hands on me. I'm okay right now. 
I want, to, I want you to understand that we need to be truthful with ourselves and with others, and that's where the victory comes from. You don't have it all together. You are a person saved from sin, but you still are a sinner sinning less and less, hopefully, every day. Be transparent. Stop lying to yourself. Refuse, refuse, refuse. I know positive things. They only emphasize your strength. Only considering your weaknesses. I know what Joe Osteen says, but that's not what the Bible says. Sometimes you need to bleed and somebody can pray for you the right way. Here's the second thing. Be thankful. Paul said, in all things, be thankful, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Thank the Lord in spite of the fact I messed up. I can't get it right. I struggle with depression, and I'm struggling today, and I got prayed for, and the folk did. But in spite of that, he loves me. He loves me, and I'm accepted in him through the beloved. I'm covered by the blood, and I'm thankful that he saved me, and he delivered me in spite of me. You can embrace who you are in Christ when you are thankful. If you're going around griping and complaining and victim being, I did it again. I'm hurt. You ouchies. Oh, nobody know the trouble I seen. You know, they know. But the same Bible says there's no temptation that has taken you. God is what? He's faithful. Be thankful. Be thankful. That's how you embrace the you in Christ. Are you a thankful person? Are you picking yourself apart when you're trying that dress on, trying those shoes on? You used to be a three, now you're a 10 and a third, a 13 or something. That's all right. That's after the 10th baby. You know, your feet spread. Brothers were uh, telling me today, they said, oh, elder boy said, you got the memo. We all had pinstripe suits on. And I would have worn that a long time ago if I could have fit it. <laughs> now I can fit it a little bit. Yeah. Be thankful. Here's another thing. That when you aren't depending on yourself but focusing on the Lord for making you who you are, you need to be trusting. The Bible says he who began a good work, he's going to complete it. God is not done with you yet. I don't know what you haven't accomplished. I don't know what failures you've experienced, but he's not done. He will complete what he started. You can trust him. Trust him. Trust him. The story's not over. The book is not fully written. Here's a fourth thing and one more thing after this. Be transformed. Say transform. That means to be created new from the inside out. Change is from the outside in. It's temporary. Transformation is a metamorphosis. It's a new creation. And the way that we are transformed from one form to a new form in Christ. The Bible says we are new metamorphoses. We are new creations in Christ. The way that occurs is through the word of God being applied. And here's the second part of that, because I wasn't saying this throughout the whole sermon, by watching the walk of others who are following Jesus. They become examples. We're not trying to model them, but we're trying to model the Christ that is living through them. 
to be transformed by the word of God in the walk of other godly believers. You ought to have somebody that you can be flat out honest with. Swallow your pride, humble yourself, and say, I don't like myself. I don't feel like I'm a successful person. I feel like a failure. I don't think I'm attractive. I don't think I'm smart. You got straight A's, but that don't mean you think you're smart. That's why you can go out there and find some Joe Rockhead dude, and he just told you he loved you, and you done walked away from 10 years of college, 15 years of grad. Oh, it don't matter, because he told me he loved me. And why did you believe that? Because you didn't love you yourself. If the word doesn't transform you, you are, you are a tragedy waiting to happen. And here's the final. Be tough. Say, be tough. You can't be living by your feelings. Because one day you, some, you walk in one room, somebody says, you look like you lost some weight. Go to the next room, oh, you put on some pounds. You know and if you, don't, if you ain't careful, you got to be tough. The Bible says be steadfast, unmovable, unmovable, always. How many? Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that. I didn't say feeling that, but knowing that your labor in him is not in vain. You've got to get some backbone. You've got to get some toughness. You've got to get some willingness. The Lord, I am who I am in you, and but for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. But for the grace of God, so go I. I embrace who I am. In him, would you stand? Oh, God, help us, Lord. Oh, God, may someone receive this today. May we see ourselves as you do and be satisfied with what you say. May we believe your report. <laughs> Believe your report. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.